many different directions. But interesting in Genesis 1-2 says, and the earth was without form and void. That's another mistranslation. And the original, uh, it does not say that the earth was without form and void. Actually, it says, and the earth became a waste and a desolation. Not form and void, but waste and desolation. And it was not, as I said, the scripture, if you read it today in the Bible, Genesis 1-2, says, and the earth was without form and void. No. The earth became a waste and a desolation. Consequently, um, if you go to Genesis 9, which is Genesis 9-1, where God is talking to Noah after the flood of Noah's day, and God says to Noah, uh, now, understanding that according to the story, everyone has been wiped off the earth in the great flood, and so God says to Noah and his sons, his three sons, uh, go forth into the world now and multiply and replenish the earth. And you ask the question, wait a minute, the word is re, R-E, replenish the earth. Meaning, not plenish, replenish. Meaning, do it again. Why? Well, simply because before Noah, there was a whole civilization. God brings a flood, according to the story. God brings a flood, destroys the world and all life on it. And now God is saying to Noah and his sons and, and their wives, go now on the earth and reproduce and fill the earth and replenish the earth. Well, that is a correct translation from the Hebrew, and I've talked to rabbis about that. And the word is replenish, R-E, means do it again. Okay, it makes sense that God would be telling Noah to redo it again. However, if you go back to Genesis 128, where God is creating the first chapter of the Bible, where God is creating man uh, and man and woman, Adam and Eve, he says to Adam and Eve, multiply and replenish the earth. Do it again, replenish the earth implying, <clears throat> of course, do it again. What are you talking about doing again? Well, if you just read Genesis 1-2 correctly, it said, and the earth was without form and void. No, the earth became a waste and a desolation. So the rabbis will tell you, and the rabbinical reference works will tell you, that what is being said in Genesis 1-2 and in 1-28 when man's, man and woman are being created is that God is recreating all over again. And so consequently, the Bible, the Old Testament, is, is a story for this dispensation. This time, the world is being recreated. Now, what happened uh, a million years ago, 10,000 or 100,000 years ago, that's none of your business. For you right now, this is what you need to understand. And the bottom line is, is that we are not the first creatures on the earth, the, the first time man's been on the earth. We now know that man has been on the earth probably millions and millions of years, and that for us to think that mankind was created 6,000, 7,000, 10,000 years ago is ludicrous because we know better than that.
And so consequently, that's what the Bible is saying. God is saying, replenish the earth to Adam and Eve. Do it again. <clears throat> Who is God? Well, the scripture says, and this is a very difficult word to deal with, God, G-O-D, because the, you know, that, that's a lot of baggage. What are you talking about when you're talking about God? Well, God is dog spelled backwards, as I said. This is why churches have dogma in their teachings, because it goes back to Anubis, Anubis the dog star, Anubis the dog, the god of uh, and the ancient Egyptian religion. But when you look at the word, and now I get back to what I was going to say to start with, that in Genesis 1-2, where it incorrectly says, and the, in the, in the earth was without form and void, no, the earth became a waste and a desolation. The two Hebrew words that are being translated there is tohu and vohu. Uh, pronunciation, it would be T-O-E hyphen W-H-O, tohu. That's not the way it's spelled in Hebrew, but that's the way it's pronounced. T-O-E W-H-O, tohu. Vohu would be V-O-E W-H-O, tohu, vohu. Waste, desolation. There's only two places in the Bible where tohu vohu is used, and it's uh, and those two places they're always used together. And there's only two places to start with. One is in Jeremiah, and one is in Genesis one two. And the the in the scripture in Jeremiah, Jeremiah says, "I saw the earth in a vision, and the earth was tohu vohu." meaning the earth became, and my eyes, I saw the earth, and it became a waste and a desolation. Well, when did that happen? Well, according to the Jeremiah prophecy, it happened many, many, many thousands of years before, and the prophet Isaiah said, God gave him a vision, and in the vision he saw the earth and tohu vohu, which is the earth became in his eyes. It was beautiful, It was, and the scripture says that, Jeremiah says, and the earth was beautiful, its animals, its birds, uh, its civilizations were absolutely beautiful to see. And then tohu vohu, it became a waste and a desolation. Meaning that there, the earth probably was a very beautiful uh, place thousands and thousands of years ago, maybe a hundred thousand years ago. And Jeremiah was given the opportunity to see the way the earth was 30, 40, 50,000 years ago with animals and a whole different beautiful world and then something happened, some kind of a major catastrophe, tohu vohu, it became a waste of the desolation. Now, when you go back to Genesis 1-2, tohu vohu is always understood to be a situation that the earth goes through when it changes from what the ancients called one dispensation to another dispensation or one period of time in God's history not our history but in the history of the universal God force the way it keeps time and of course it's you know it, it, uh, one one day is a thousand years well that's probably more than that uh, theoretically using the term God how does God keep time? Well, my Lord, you know, God's forever, forever, so I mean, how long would that be? So in the, the universal God force concept of time, millions of years are nothing. So consequently, 
what is being said there is that Tohu Vohu implies a total destruction on a cosmic level between dispensations of creation between God. Between the time that God created the earth and all these wonderful things were on it, say a hundred thousand years ago, and then when something happened, a comet hit the uh, earth is one, one of the ideas is going around now, a major comet the size of New York hit in south of uh, Mexico and, and caused the dust to fly all over the earth and everything died because it blocked out the sun. I don't know, but, but something happened because we know that animals, even in the North Pole, the South Pole, they have found animals that are frozen solid with green vegetation still in their mouth. Consequently, something happened many, many, many thousands of years ago, which is translated tohu vohu. Some terrible catastrophe happened on the earth in which the gods were angry and, and the whole thing was just leveled. Well, maybe it wasn't the gods who did it, but the point being is that the Bible is saying that the gods, Elohim, became angry at the creation and Jeremiah was allowed to see tohu vohu, a total uh, destruction all over the earth, a major catastrophe. And that is precisely, as I said, the words and the concept is used for the dispensation of one creative period going to another creative period. So when everything is collapsed and destroyed, now theoretically, according to the Bible, God says, come, let us do it again. All right, let's start all over again, and let's create a man and a woman, and Rabbi Marvin S. Antelman, some 35 years ago, Marvin Antelman, A-N-T-E-L-M-A-N-N, -E -N -N, Marvin Antelman uh, of Newton, Massachusetts, was 35 years ago president of the American Rabbinical Association. And he and I were very close friends for many years. I used to chide him all the time about his understanding of the Bible. But, but uh, Rabbi Antelman, president of the American Rabbinical Association, said to me, I asked him about that scripture where God said, come, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And I said to Rabbi, what are you talking about, come, let us? Who's us? Did God get, get, get permission from somebody that's working with him or what? And he says, no, it's a misunderstanding on how the sentence is understood by Gentiles and Jews. Jews also misunderstand. They don't know any more than the Gentiles do. There is a correct way to read that sentence. And the, the correct, the, the normal way people think that the scripture is saying when it says, God said, come let us make man in our image after our likeness. Most people think that that's, God is saying, come, let us create a creature. Let us make a, a, a new creation, a creature, and we will call him, uh, uh, maybe we'll call him man. So come, let us make a creature, and we will call him man and woman. Man with a womb, woman. And that's what most people understand that scripture to mean. That's not what it says at all. Rabbi Antelman says, nowhere in the Bible does it say God created man. It doesn't say that. Go back and read it correctly. What is said is that God said, or Elohim, the gods said, 
Come, let us make man in our image after our likeness. The correct way to understand that is that God was saying, Come, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Not make man. Man's already here. Come, let us remake man. Do it again. Let us make man according to our image and our likeness. And so the 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 ancient uh, the ancient Jews and the Hebrews and all the ancient civilizations uh, starting all the way back to Samaria understood what what was being said. It's just that we don't understand because we all we get is our news from ABC. We wouldn't know anything about what's going on. But if you go back to the ancient works, you will find that the ancient people, the Sumerians, Babylonians, Phoenician Canaanites, Egyptians, the ancient Greeks and Romans, all of them understood that we are the creation of another of another entity. We are the creation of the gods. And according to Zechariah Sitchin, and he's not the only one, he's just one that I know personally, but according to the work of Zechariah Sitchin, the Sumerians are saying that extraterrestrials came here from a planet called Nibiru. And Nibiru is, according to the Sumerians, they said that Nibiru is a planet about twice the size of the Earth, and that comes and it is part of our solar system, but it has a huge elliptical orbit. It's not a round orbit, it's elliptical orbit, oblong. And consequently, according to the Sumerians, and now we're beginning to scientifically find out that he was right. The Sumerians are right. The U.S. Navy has even commented on now that there seems to be more than one other planet connected to our solar system with elliptical orbits. Well, that's what the Sumerians were saying. And consequently, this elliptical orbit is every 3,600 years it comes back into our vicinity and passes through our solar system, then goes back out again. And according to the way the solar system turns in the galaxy, and this thing comes back every 3,600 years, comes back and then goes back out. And consequently, every 3,600 years, mankind seems to make massive movements on the Earth, new things, new technology. All of a sudden, things just start happening. Why? I believe that there's at least enough um, evidence to show that there might be something to this story, that the Sumerians and the Egyptians and all these great civilizations, not us, we, you know, we have no idea what's going on in, right here in our own city, but the ancient peoples knew and said that the gods told them that every 3,600 years they come back through, and when they come back through, why travel a long distance when they could just wait the planet's going to be in the close vicinity and when it is it'll be here for a few months so they will drop off and see how everything is and uh, and give you some new up up uh, uh, you know some new concepts and new ideas uh, depending on how smart you are if you're still as dumb as last time they were here you know why bother but if you've progressed a little bit they will give you a little bit more to work on. Then they get on the planet and leave, and another 3,600 years goes by, and mankind progresses again. So all of this makes some kind of a, of, of a legitimate sense if you are able to look at science, philosophy, religion, biblical history, and, and be able to you know, balance it all out. There is, a lot of, there is a modicum of truth in all of this, because uh, scientifically things are being proven now. 
that the Sumerians were saying many thousands of years ago. So the point being is that God said, come let us make man in our image after our likeness. Uh, interesting, in relation to that, and again, I go back and, and reiterate that Rabbi Antoman said the correct way to, to, to say that or to read that scripture is that the gods said, come let us make man in our image. Not make man, but let's make him in our image, after our likeness. Uh, well, that's, that's interesting. You mean we were already here, but for being so great, we weren't that great. Yeah, we were hominids. We were Neanderthal man. We were Cro-Magnon man. We were whatever these creatures were that were digging up all over the world. In the south of France, we're finding Neanderthal who stand upright, uh, homo sapien, but, uh, but they were just a little different from us. And, but they, they had certain qualities that showed that they had some intelligence about how to do things. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, from the Neanderthal period, we pop in. Our, our skin and flesh is different than what the Neanderthals would have been. Our, our skin is thinner. We can't take the cold like animals do at 2 o'clock in the morning on the desert when it's like 20 below zero. Animals are out there. They live through it. We couldn't. Why? It's because our, our bodies are designed differently, our skin is thinner, our systems are more balanced and, 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 uh, and vulnerable. Uh, however, our spirituality and our intellect is far higher. We, we can appreciate geometry, uh, uh, sciences, occultism, beautiful music, uh, lasers. I mean, you know, our intellectual and spiritual capacity is phenomenal. But our bodies are very uh, vulnerable. So what happened in our natural evolution of things when one time you have the, the Neanderthals or whatever these hominid creatures, and that's a word that science uses, hominids, these creatures, and all of a sudden we appear. Well, it makes sense to me that perhaps there is something to what the Sumerians said, that the gods who came through on Nibiru or whatever the planet was, or whatever the story is, the bottom line is that the gods said, come let us make man in our image after our likeness, meaning they must have cross-breeded their DNA with our DNA, whichever the, the normal uh, hominid creatures that were here, take one of the females, impregnate the female with the, with the genetics of the gods, and the outcome would have been us. We are still animalistic, I mean, at best. Uh, we're still animalistic. We're still going around killing people and shooting people, and anybody that doesn't look like us or happen to be our color, we hate them, and we shoot them. Uh, we shoot our own families, you know, we shoot presidents, we shoot everybody. Why? It's because we are actually a Neanderthal, ancient, uh, a hominid creature. And we have appetites for violence and, and excitement and killing and all that kind of thing. However, we also, uh, as among us, those who are profoundly brilliant and spiritually in tune, who give us the great uh, composers, the great poets, the greatness that mankind is capable of. So you have the balance, the animalistic human, 
plus the divinely inspired. So we could, you know, we're balanced. The bottom line on this is that we are created by the gods. Now, go back to Genesis 18, and in Genesis 18 there's a story there about Abraham. And Abraham is standing in his tent talking to his wife, the scripture says. Go read it in the Bible, in Genesis 18. And it says, And Abraham was standing in his tent, and three men come walking up toward him. And he went out to meet them. And, he, and they talked with the men, and they said that they were on their way to some business they had elsewhere, and they were just passing through. And it says, Abraham uh, invited them to stay and have dinner at least, because this was a custom in the ancient world. If you have tourists or people coming through, it doesn't matter who they are. That was a custom in the ancient world. You show hospitality by asking them if at least you can stop and have something to eat or something, refresh yourself and then go. And so that was the custom. Um, you know, we still do that today. You know, friends drop over, you'll fix them something to eat or something. So that was a custom. But it's interesting that in Genesis 18, it says Abraham asked the three men to stay and have dinner and then go. And they said no, they were busy. They had something they had to do. And it said that Abraham insisted. So they said, all right, not going to argue. We'll have dinner, but make it quick because we've got something to do, but we'll stay for a few minutes. So it says Abraham had Sarah make, uh, make something to eat. And after eating, two of the men got up, thanked Abraham for his hospitality and said, but they really must go. But the third one stayed to talk for a little bit. Then later on, and that's in Genesis 18, in the next chapter, Genesis 19, you find out that those two men are now the two men who are in Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 19. And it says that when those two men who were, you know, the day before with Abraham are now in Sodom and Gomorrah, it says the homosexuals thought they were good-looking, handsome men. And it said that the homosexuals that night came to the house where these two men were staying with Lot and, and called them out. Uh, and, and the two men were able to supernaturally cause the people of the town to become blind so that they started fighting among themselves. And it says that the two men in the Bible, Genesis 19, were in point of fact actually angels, spirit entities who have come in a human form. And it says in Genesis 18 that the one that stayed and talked with uh, Abraham was in fact the Lord God, the Creator Himself. God Almighty, the Creator of mankind Himself, was the Lord who sat with Abraham. And I think to myself, wait a minute, you mean Abraham actually fixed dinner for God, for the Creator? And he sat there and had, you know, had dinner and a couple of drinks and, and chit-chatted with Abraham and talked to his wife? And he was said to be a man. He looked like a man. He acted like a man. Uh, take that into consideration with later on in Genesis when it says the sons of God. And sons of God does not mean angels. Angels and sons of God are totally different, totally different subjects. Angels are not sons of God. But in the, later on in Genesis it says sons of God began to forsake their proper dwelling place and start cohabiting with women. The sons of God began to see women, that they were beautiful, and, and fell for the women. And this is where we get the idea of falling in love, because they fell from a higher position 
because of the women. And so consequently, uh, I cannot picture myself uh, seeing a woman being talked into bed by some hideous creature from another world, but good-looking, handsome men might do it. So consequently, it makes sense that the sons of God were good-looking, handsome men, even homosexuals thought they were good-looking, handsome men. The point being is that the angels, the sons of God, the, the, not the angels, but the sons of God, there were two of them that accompanied the Almighty God, the Creator, Yahweh, Jehovah. And what is this all saying? The bottom line, after everything is said and done, is quite simply this, that we are told that God, the Creator, had two uh, accompanying angels with him, he went into Sodom and Gomorrah. They looked like men. They sat down. They had dinner. They could chit-chat with you. And they uh, and two of them left to go, and they all looked like men. And later on, the sons of God, who looked like handsome, good-looking men, they started messing around with women and had offspring. Well, their plumbing must have worked if they had offspring through females. So they must have been, uh, for all practical purposes, a man. What is this saying? It's basically saying this. I believe that there is a modicum of truth in the story that's encoded in the book of Genesis. I think there is something there very important. I think that today there very well could be sons of God still here on the earth. We don't know what their lifespan is. We don't know how long sons of God, Elohim, or the Anunnaki, as the, uh, as the ancient Sumerians called them. We don't know how long they live. We have no idea what we're talking about here. All we know is the Bible is saying that there are extraterrestrials, and I have to tell you this, but that's the word, extraterrestrial, because God and the angels, all the sons of God, do not come from Van Nuys. They come from out there. They come from somewhere out there in, quote, heaven, end quote. So if they're coming from out there and they look like humans and they can mess with women and have offspring, they can sit and have dinner with you, and they look like good and handsome men, but they're not from here and they're not men. They just look like men. That begins to make sense to me that perhaps what we are seeing today in the Middle East having to do with, I with, the, with the Iraq, <clears throat> which Iraq was originally hundreds of years ago called Persia. Persia was called before that um, Chaldea. Chaldea before that was called Babylon. So what we're talking about is the king of Babylon. Now it begins to look like what's going on here is that our world is being run by very powerful men who care nothing whatsoever about human creatures. Do you care and worry yourself sick when you go to Kentucky Fried Chicken and think about how many innocent families were broken up, how many chickens had to die? You couldn't care less. They're just chickens. They're just animals. And so consequently, I think that the uh, sons of God, the Elohim, Anonaki, I don't care what name you give them, they are still here. I am totally convinced that we are now seeing in the Middle East with the United States government doing what it's doing, with the rest of the world preparing for something, tohu vohu. 
I think what we're actually seeing is a profound, awesome, terrible tribulation coming when the gods are going to battle like two men fighting over a woman. The gods are going to battle for the ownership of us. And consequently, when you understand that Saddam Hussein is Persian, Persia is Chaldean, Chaldean is Babylon. And we're talked in the Bible, the Bible is filled with, uh, in the book of Genesis and all the way through to Revelation, talks about how the gods of Babylon were, were to be cursed and they were evil and that the good God was going to destroy Babylon. I think what we're seeing right now in, in, in Israel, America, England, when you begin to look at the symbols, the words, the terms, the national coats of arms, the, the seals of nations, listen to what the president is saying. I am totally convinced for my own self, and I've been looking at this for over 40 years, I'm totally convinced what's going on right now is that the president of the United States has no control over anything. I think that those, what's going on is there are very powerful, awesome creatures on this earth that look like men, and they act like men, and they can eat with you, but they are not normal human beings. These people are despotically powerful, murderous in their intent. They don't care a thing about human life because they created it. They don't give a damn about nations, races, children, uh, family values. That's all crap to them. They created this creature called man. They are in a whole different world than we are. They don't see the same things. Their, their technology is so far above us. Their understanding of human creation is so far above anything we understand. They are, as far as we're concerned, gods. Consequently, I think that what we're seeing now is a war between the gods. And consequently, tohu vohu. I believe that it's my opinion that we're going to see in the next two and a half years uh, trouble like we have never seen it before. It's frightening the implications of what I, I just think back on the gods and when they're at war. You like, you like war and you like bloodshed? Well, stick around. Now you're going to see how the gods do it. You're going, you, you know, you look, America loves all these war movies. Good. Stick around. You're going to really want to see this one because the gods are going to show you what war is really all about. And it hasn't got a thing to do with sparing the children and only dropping bombs on military. And not, no, no. The gods, they don't give a damn about none of it. They're here to do one thing, and that is control and take ownership of us, their, their creation. Incidentally, if the concept that I have, I have outlined that we creatures, we humans, are actually the offspring of the gods are some kind of a mating uh, action between the extraterrestrials or the Elohim, uh, Anunnaki, the ancient gods, whatever you want to call them. If there is something to this, if there is any validity to this concept that extraterrestrials who came from heaven, yeah, of course, if they came here and they said, come, let us create man or make man in our image and our likeness. 
you've got a very interesting situation here. You have Neanderthal or hominid creatures, and we haven't even discussed where the hominid creatures came from. We're not even dealing with that yet. <clears throat> but you're talking about an extraterrestrial life forms that looked like us, and they have come here from another world, from an, another uh, from another place in time, and they are attempting to procreate with the indigenous creatures that are here, and consequently their DNA and their system, or their body system from where the world they have come from is so superior to ours, and yet they are smart enough to know how to blend our DNA, the creatures, the hominid creatures, with them. Is this how we got today uh, uh, the yetis, abominable snowman, the yetis, um, what are some of the other terms that are used for those creatures? Uh, what is it? Bigfoot. Yeah, Bigfoot, uh, the yetis, whatever. They are hominid creatures. They walk on two legs like, like male. They look like men, but they are animals. But they are brilliant in intelligence and can outsmart anybody. They have obviously supernatural powers to go in and out of, of dimensions. There's a lot of material on that subject. So, and too many races of people around the world, from China to Asia to uh, North America to all of the ancient cultures, talk about the, uh, the Bigfoot, the Yetis, those mysterious creatures that live in the wilds. It would not surprise me if those Yetis, Bigfoot creatures, are the original experiments of the Anunnaki gods cohabiting and, and, and cross-breeding with the hominid creatures over here, but they put too much of something in and not enough of the other, and they came out even more vicious than what they were and even smarter. But they're still animals. Well, they screwed up. Okay, <clears throat> now we got to do it a, 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 something better. Because this thing was, before it was just an animal. Now it's a vicious animal. And it has supernatural powers like we do. Uh, so, all right, and that thing's already gone. Let's forget it. Let's move it on and do it again now. This time we're going to do it better. And so now they do it again. And now they got it right. Now they got it balanced and got the DNA correct and got it right and gave birth to us. So I'm saying, if any of this has any validity, and I'm just putting, I'm just pointing this material out because this is what the Bible says. And so consequently, if any of this has any validity, it very well might be, as uh, my friend um, uh, William Henry has been talking about for many years, and Zechariah and all the rest of them, I think that we might be seeing a war being put together right now, not by men. It is very possible that we in this country and the world in general is being led. We have talked about Illuminati, the secret societies, the fraternal orders, even among uh, the Masons of Europe, when you confront uh, the Masons of Europe and you ask them, who actually is at the top of your organization? At the very top, who are they? They will tell you that they don't know. That is not to be, un that's not to be discussed. 
They don't know who was at the top, and it's none of your business. And you want to stay alive and just do what you're doing, then you just take care of your business at this level and don't worry about who the boss is. And consequently, the, the Masons in Europe refer to their masters as, quote, the hidden chiefs or hidden masters. Somehow or another, the hidden masters behind world events, today we refer to them as Illuminati or whatever, I don't think the Bilderbergers and the Council on Foreign Relations and any of those organizations are of any importance to me at all. Those are just the mundane uh, nuts and bolts of how the, the organizations put together to make things work. I'm more interested as to who are the gods behind world affairs. Who are the brilliant minds at the top of the pyramid symbolically who are the intellectual elites behind world events i'm totally sure there's only a handful a very small tiny handful and i wouldn't be a bit surprised if they were the elohim the anunnaki the men who look like men but are not men consequently i you know so many people have said how can these people go to war killing innocent women and children uh, you know, like the First and Second World War, murdering and killing. Uh, how could men do this? I don't think men are doing it at all. I think that there are, there are powerful entities in this world who look like men. And they give the orders, and you better jump. And I don't care if you call yourself president, it just don't matter. If you get in their way, they'd sooner kill you as anybody else. They got an agenda, and you had better jump when they say and consequently, I think that's what we're looking at today, a war between the gods. It has nothing to do with the human uh, element. It has to do with a, co a, a cosmic, cataclysmic time in which the gods are battling now for our ownership. This is what Steven Spielberg and George Lucas have been telling you. Steven Spielberg and his movie, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, you need to go back and get the movie and watch it. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. What is the Last Crusade? Well, if you don't understand the first two crusades, you're never going to understand the Last Crusade. Do you know what the Crusades were all about? Do you know who started the Crusades? And what were, what were they crusading about? Well, it has to do with the ownership of people, international banking cartels. It has to do with the Knights Templars of the 9th and 10th century. So consequently, what, if you don't understand what the first two crusades or the first three crusades, then you're not going to understand Indiana Jones and the last crusade. What is the last crusade about? It has Indiana Jones looking for something called the cup of Christ or the Holy Grail. The cup of Christ, the Holy Grail, uh, there have been many, many stories and many interpretations of this. But basically it goes, it goes back to one thing. The cup represents the holder of the wine. The wine is poured into the cup. The cup, the wine has always represented the blood of mankind. Jesus said, drink this wine, for this is the blood of the covenant. So you drink the wine, all of the men around the table would drink the wine. They are symbolically drinking the blood of the God so that they are locked into a partnership with God. You're drinking the wine, which is a ritual. The, the wine represents the blood 
And in the Christian sense, it, were, it represents Jesus' blood that's being shed for us. So you're drinking the blood, taking uh, an oath to lock yourselves together in a, in a sacred mission. All right, but the, the Holy Grail, the, the lost Grail, is a cup in which you pour the wine. The cup represents the earth, and the wine represents the blood on the earth. So the cup represents the earth, the human blood on the earth is the wine in the cup. Consequently, whoever holds the cup holds the blood of the human family on the earth in his hand, which I believe is a symbolism of the ancient gods who have come here from another world and they are saying, who owns this property down here? You know, well, we created it. Ah, you created it, but we own it. We're coming in and taking it over. And that's why uh, Saddam Hussein has said he believes he is the reincarnation of um, King Nebuchadnezzar. I got a feeling that there's some really powerful, strange occultism going on in the Middle East right now. And we in America and England, the Western man is getting ready to get involved and become cannon fodder. We're going to become involved in a war that you have no idea in the world how big it's going to be. Because this has nothing to do with generals sitting down and plotting out some war plan. No, no, no. This is going to be one hell of a conflict. It's, it's going to be a cosmic conflict between the gods and even today, Christians are beginning to realize this is the things which are talked about in the Bible prophecies. We are in the time of the end. Yes, we are in the time of the end of the age of Pisces. And the coming age, and the, by 2012, we will be fully into, according to the reference works, we'll be fully into what is called the beginning of the age of Aquarius. And that is simply dispensations of time, 2,150 years of the age of the fish, is why Christians have the fish on the back of the cars, and the water bearer, which is, a, which is Aquarius. So what the Bible is saying is that there is one age that's leaving, that's a 2,150 year period, and another 2,150 period is going to begin, and who are going to be the gods of the new age, the gods of the new order of things? Well, it's like a, a prize fight heavyweight champion uh, prize fight. We're going to have to fight this one out. See who the best man is. You know, the two guys fighting over the woman. So consequently, I think what we're beginning to see and what we're going to see very soon is an all-out cosmic war in which we're going to also see, I think we're going to be uh, privy to see supernatural things going on. Not just in this war not just in war, I think we're going to see some really strange phenomena being able to, uh, you know, people are going to see it for themselves. Norio Hayakawa, dear friend of mine, I just spoke uh, this past week at the, the Japanese uh, Friendship Club in, in uh, Little Tokyo uh, for Norio. Uh, but Norio has been saying for many years, Norio is famous for his work with Area 51, but Norio Hayakawa has said so often that he believes that the United States government, and probably the world government behind it, is planning on having some kind of a UFO uh, extravaganza that they're going to do themselves. It's going to be a show, 
and it's going to be the aliens landing here from another world, and they're going to cause this and that to happen, and therefore all the nations are going to have to get together to fight this alien race that's here. And the whole thing is a show to fool everyone into joining a new world order collectively. Uh, and, and the whole thing will be a trick, and the trick is going to be so well done, the, the most ardent skeptic is going to believe it, because it's really going to be a hot show. But nonetheless, as, as, uh, as Noriel says, the whole thing is a put-up job. Well, I said to Noriel one night at a dinner at, after one of the lectures we were doing together at the table, and a bunch of the speakers were there, and, it was in, and I said to Noriel, Noriel, I can take the same facts that you enumerated tonight that back up your theory. I can take the same exact facts and come up with a different theory that fits it equally as well. And I would say, it's just my opinion, but I could take the same facts you've come up with. You said that they were here, that they were doing this and that, and that they're going to land and make it look like. I wonder if it isn't going to be an actual, in fact, invasion of extraterrestrials invading us. I, I would be, not be a bit surprised if the U.S. government knows that it's going to happen. They've already been told that these gods are going to do battle with other gods who are coming here for the ownership of the earth, and that you are, and, and the governments of the world, of this earth, are being told either you're with us or you're with them. And you had better be with us because we're already here and they're coming, and they are our enemies. And so it's a war between the gods for the ownership of the earth, and consequently, if that be the case, you better sue for peace with one of the two. And logic would tell you that if one of them is already here, that's the one you better sue for peace with. And so I said to Norio, it may very well be that it's not going to be a staged event. I think maybe they're actually going to be a, an extraterrestrial uh, intervention into our, uh, into our civilization. And we might be seeing things from another world that are legitimately real. So I, and these are all the things which were prophesied in the Bible. They're prophesied in the ancient uh, Hopi um, prophecies. In the Mayans, the Incas, all of the ancient peoples uh, have prophesied that the gods would come back. They're coming back. Well, what are you talking about coming back? Every 3,600 years, Nibiru comes through, a planet comes through, in which we are told by the Sumerians, those people from Nibiru, uh, who have come from another planet and another world look like us and they created or recreated us and they're coming back and they're not very happy with us and they're not very happy with the alien life forms who are here who have been manipulating us and using us it's like one gang coming in and finding out another gang has set up shop here and they say hey wait a minute you know just because we went down to the store that don't mean you come in here and take over well, we're already here. What are you going to do about it? Well, we'll show you what we're going to do about it. And now all of a sudden, the people in the neighborhood, they better get out of here because there's going to be a war. And it's not because they're trying to protect you. It's ownership. Somebody came here and created us, and they're coming back, and they're going to find out others are here, and they're taking over our planet. So I'm saying that there's a very good chance that there is a whole nother story in the Bible are uh, encoded and from my 
talking with rabbis and, and looking at the subject, I think there is something legitimate about all of this. I do not discard the Bible, both Old and New Testament. I think there's some very interesting and important material in there. I just don't think we fully understood it yet. It's a lot of encoded stuff. Again, tohu, vohu means cosmic destruction on a cosmic level. And if we, in fact, if, if we, in fact, begin to see two opposing forces of gods, alien life forms from other worlds that have, we all know, technology we don't even understand, and if they begin an all-out war between themselves on this earth, we are going to see some extraordinary destruction, some very, very powerful and fearful things. And this is what the scripture says. It says in Isaiah that men are going to beg God to die and for the mountains to call, crawl in over them. They're going to wish that they were dead and that people are going to be having, uh, in Jeremiah it says men will be having heart attacks about thinking about what's coming. They can already see it coming, the implications. I think tohu and vohu, cosmic destruction on a cosmic level is about to begin. I think that's exactly what's now on the way. This is why the powers that be in America are so dead strong and so locked in on what they're going to do is because they have no alternative the people who are actually running this government from behind the scenes, we call it the world government, or the Illuminati, or the secret societies. No, I think the people who are running this thing from behind the scenes are not even human. And what they got planned, according to their own agenda for ownership of us, is going to be one hell of a war. And at this point, I would conclude by saying, I believe the only hope that we have as individual humans, I, I am totally convinced because of too much has, has proven this to me, that over and above this scenario, if it has any validity at all, over and above this scenario, bad as it is, there is above the, the, the scenario a higher power in the universe that men have called, for a lack of a better term, God. There are many terms that could be used for God. The divine presence in the universe, the Holy Spirit, I don't care what you call it, because all nations, uh, races and peoples on the earth have acknowledged the presence of, quote, it, end quote, whatever it is, but it's there. If you choose to call it God or the divine, incidentally the word divine comes from the idea that the grapes uh, the, the red wine represents the blood, and the blood represents life, and it came from the vine. And so that's why it's the blood comes from the divine, the vine. But I don't care if you call God the divine one, the Holy Spirit, the great father, it doesn't matter what you call that presence in the universe. There is no doubt in my mind whatsoever that there is a higher power in the universe that watches these skirmishes between races in its great creation. And I would suggest that all of us, uh, the way to protect yourself is the way the scripture said to do it, and the way that the New Testament admonishes to do it, 
and that is to verbally, verbally or by yourself when no one is around, audibly talk to the spirit as if the spirit were a very highly intelligent, powerful man or woman that you were talking to. If you were talking to a very powerful dignitary, you would not jumble your words. You were very, very specific in what you want to say have the highest of respect for that one that you're speaking before, and once you have said your piece before the king and before that high official, then drop it. That's it. You've said your piece. He has heard it. It's over. Now, he will do whatever he decides to do in your behalf, but it's over. You don't need to explain anything more or, or whine about it. And so I think that this is the most powerful thing that an individual can do is talk to the Creator, the, the Divine Spirit in the universe, ask for direction, ask, what am I to, supposed to know? What am I supposed to do? How can I protect myself and my loved ones? Show me what I am to know, show me what I am to do, and I will listen, I will do whatever it is. No matter how wrong I am, I will listen, you show me. What you need to understand that once you do that, Jesus, the scripture has Jesus saying, you have not because you ask not. It is, a, it is a normal thing in human communications. If you ask someone for something, they now have the, the option to grant the wish or not grant the wish. Well, if you go before a very powerful king or a very powerful man and ask him for something, don't make a, a nuisance out of yourself. You've asked, you've asked, and, and he has heard, and he'll decide. Maybe he decides no. But whatever he des the decision is, that's it anyway. So consequently, I believe that the smart thing, if you're concerned about your spirituality and your life, is to quietly talk to God or talk to the universe of God for us, because believe me, it's there and it hears you, and ask, what am I to do? What am I to know? Show me where I'm wrong. Tell me what I have to do and I'm going to do it. Then leave it alone and watch the way the Spirit works. Things will begin to happen around you. And all of a sudden, you know, things will begin to, to pop up in front of you. You'll, you'll be asking a question and it will come on television. You'll open up a magazine and there it is, the answer right in front of you. And you think that's by chance? No, you asked God for direction, didn't you? So the scripture says God works in strange ways, his, his wonders to accomplish. So I'm saying that we are in a very perilous time, tohu vohu, cosmic things are going to happen. But I believe that there is a higher force in the universe. Talk to that spirit and it will protect you and guide you because all wise men have always said that and it's true. And I want to thank you for your time. Thank you, Jordan, by the way. I hope you guys liked it. Was it good? Uh, was it good? You guys liked it? Good. I'm glad. Thank you, Jordan. Uh, we just made a bunch of tapes for Kathleen Keene and the father. So we'll play one of them for you. Which one would you like to hear? Keene? 
Okay, on go grab two sets, we'll play them. While uh, Wendy is away on business, uh, I'll entertain some questions if you have any, and not necessarily do I have the answers, if you have any questions. First of all, thank you, Jordan. Uh, this spirit you're talking about that we speak to, there was a uh, great religious leader in this century named Mosendar. Mosendar. And he uh, communicated with this spirit, and it was uh, a, and the way he did it was he he talked to the spirit, and he'd answer for the spirit. And this went on for for months, and all of a sudden his voice came out of nowhere, and he started to communicate with this spirit like you were talking about. Anyway, thank you again. Yeah, that's I've had too many examples of that happening in my own life. So uh, <clears throat> I know that when you speak, there's uh, scientific evidence for the idea that whatever you say lasts forever. The vibration is in the air, and it's there forever. There are scientists and physicists today who I've talked with up in Portland who were saying that there is at least a concept I don't know if they've done it yet, but the concept is there of being able to pull out of the air the vibrations of the, of the things which Pharaoh said, which all the ancient peoples of the world said, it's all still here. It's, it's in the Akashic record, so to speak. It's all still here and can be recorded and can be tapped into if you have the right instruments to tap into that very high esoteric science of of things which were said thousands of years ago are still in the air. And so uh, I wouldn't be a bit surprised that there is some technology yet to come that can do that. Uh, I know because of my own personal experiences of being able to talk to the spirit and later on having magnificently strange stuff happen that just blows my mind. I mean, things which are uh, actually fear-inspiring and the implications of what happened. I asked for something, and when it happened, it happened in such a profound way that it was kind of scary to me. And then I thought, the Spirit is saying, hey, you asked, didn't you? You have not, for you asked not. You asked, and I, and I, and I answered you. Now, just because you turned white and was frightened to death uh, at the implications of it, uh, that's the way God is. I mean, it's a very powerful force at work right now. Very interesting stuff going on. So while I'm very displeased and very disheartened at seeing what's going on, I know that there's one higher than the high one who looks on, and, and what goes around comes around. And millions, millions of people died before, 
millions will still die, but there is a higher dimension to reality. Even in Hollywood, they call it a matrix. There is a higher dimension to the reality on the earth. Something else is going on here on a higher level. And I'm saying that you need to get in touch with your God who, who is the actual spirit in the universe because it's, it's intelligent and it hears you. Any, anyone else? Yeah, yeah, Jordan, that concept of what you're talking about, um, 